Army veteran Dave Vidarek started his entrepreneurial journey with ICE vending machines, and now he is co-founder of BV Contracting Solutions, where they provide easy solutions to complex projects for your business and home. Coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union lets you experience more. From everyday commutes to your next big vacation, the flagship credit card earns you three times the points on travel, so you can get rewarded for wherever you're headed next. All right, today we're talking with Army veteran Dave Vidarek, BV Contracting Solutions. So Dave and I, we actually know each other quite well. You actually bought, bought a business from me up when I was in Kansas City, and we've uh, traded stories back and forth. Uh, uh, you're definitely uh, involved in you know, helping support Bunker Labs when I was a city leader and ambassador there in Kansas City with Bunker Labs. And uh, um, we've traded some entrepreneurial stories and doing great things up there in Kansas City before we moved down here to we're down here in Florida now, so I haven't seen you around in a while, but it's good talking with you. Um, it's always cool to talk with somebody that like I know personally, so <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. So anyways, um, following the theme, let's uh, take us back and tell us about what you did in the Army. Sure. Well, thanks for having me today. So I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh, um, commissioned um, through Indiana University of Pennsylvania in 1999 on active duty after doing some reserve time um, as an air defense officer. Uh, first duty station was at uh, Fort Bragg, which kind of set my my path and how I think I was going to ser- uh, serve the rest of my career. You know, once you're in, once in the airborne, always in the airborne type <laughs> mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple different duty stations, uh, Fort Hood a lot, um, went to the Armor Captain's Career Course, even though I was an air defense officer. Um, so I went to Afghanistan in 02 with the 82nd. I went to Iraq in 2004 with First Cav, uh, went back to Iraq in 2009, advising the Iraqis uh, with 10th Mountain in two that, uh, from 2009 to 2010, and then uh, finished up with a Kuwait rotation in 2013 to 2014. So uh, bounced some time around, you know, went from being a divisional stinger guy up to having to serve as a battalion brigade S3 for Patriots. Um, and then I finished up my career uh, with my last assignment up at Fort Leavenworth, uh, training traveling around teaching uh, mobile training teams on uh, training management and um, some of the other uh, digital systems that the army had in order to manage that. So awesome. Yeah. And I, re- I retired from Fort Leavenworth also. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how we bumped into each other originally. So, um, and then we, we, uh, we, we both were kind of in the same entrepreneurial circles there in, in the Kansas yes. city area for a while. And uh, he actually bought, bought my sticker business from us uh, yes. when we were trying to, when we were getting out of that. And uh, you still have that, right? Yeah. So, uh, we still have that one. So as I was getting ready to transition out, I knew I wanted to get into, uh, some entrepreneurship stuff. Uh, part of my thing was I ended up, my career was cut shorter than I expected. I was part of the drawdown in the, uh, 2015, 2016. So I actually finished with just under 18 years on active duty. Um, and part of me, uh, getting into business was, I wanted to have more control over my life. I was tired of, you know, mm-hmm. my evaluation reports and everything always being dependent upon someone else that it, sometimes I felt like I didn't have enough control over, even though right. I felt I was performing well. So uh, I jumped into the ice machine business, which we can talk about in a minute was the first one. Um, and then uh, into the sticker business. So I wanted to jump into 
into business, but I wasn't ready to go all in because uh, I knew I was going to have to work a job full time. So I was looking for businesses that I could run on the side without any employees or with minimal employees that would allow me to learn more about business, but at the same time, still be able to work a full time job. So, yeah. And I, I think that describes a lot, a lot of veterans, military spouses, uh, folks that are still on active duty, trying to get something going before they get out or even after they get out, they, they got a regular job, but this entrepreneurial thing still uh, still scratching, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're still scratching at the door with that. So, um, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, was it easy to find something? Because, uh, sometimes I think a, there's a lot of people that just give up on entrepreneurship because it's sometimes it's hard to break into it. Uh, especially if you've been used to having a job most of your life. No, absolutely. So I would say it was, uh, easier than expected. Um, so I was doing a lot of traveling. So I spent a lot of time in hotels by myself. So I was doing a lot of research and, uh, I thought back to kind of what had I dealt with that I thought was a good business. Obviously if I, I didn't want to get into something that I didn't feel confident, um, was a good product or a good service. Um, and that's how I kind of landed on the ice machine, uh, uh, business. So we had used those when we were down in Texas a lot. So, and there, there wasn't very many up this way. There was none actually on the Kansas side of the, of the Kansas city area. Mm-hmm. Um, so my wife jokes that, um, I was doing too much traveling because I came home with some paperwork one day cause we had talked about it and she's, she, she just thought it was a mild passing thing. And I said, Hey, I need you to sign this bank paperwork so I can take out a loan in order to uh, start this thing. And she's like, Oh man, you're serious about this. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> serious. So, um, but I, I think, you know, we see it all the time. Um, a lot of folks have good ideas. I think uh, Bunker Lab says up to 25% of veterans get out, say they want to start a business, but the hard part is just making the jump and the leap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, without, you can have uh, conversations about it all day. It's no different than planning in a, mil- a military operation, but if you never cross the line of departure, then nothing ever happens. And I think that's, I feel the same way about um, entrepreneurship. Now, the key for me is uh, someone has to address what their level of risk is, and also they have to find something they feel comfortable with. And, and, and starting small with a side hustle, things like that, I think is a great opportunity for that uh, for someone. Um, I know it actually made me a better employee after I transitioned. So when I, was tra- when I transitioned out, I took a job uh, running a commercial construction as an operations manager for a mechanic- mechanical contractor in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, but having that business on the side uh, was good for me as a senior level manager in the company because I understood business more. I understood the, I understood profit and loss. I understood, you know, we joke in the, you know, in the military that we manage budgets of, you know, everyone wants to put 5 million, 10 million, 25 million, but in reality we're spending budgets. Yeah, not your and money. that's the difference. <laughs> that's the difference between being in a civilian job and being uh, in the military is we don't have mm-hmm. to make the money in order to uh, go spend it. So, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, a couple of interesting perspectives there. Um, you see that all the time on the military resumes, but it, it is it's, it is different when it's not your you know, when it's not your money. You're just you're yes. just there spending it and trying to keep from getting in trouble from spending it on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what were and and describing when you come home and um, have the wife <laughs> co-sign with a loan? I'm like, you know, especially guys like sometimes you've been thinking about this for years. You've been doing all this research on your own. Sometimes you, you haven't even told the wife about it. Like, I mean, I've been guilty about it. Like I researched stuff for months and years and all of a sudden you make this snap, this seemingly snap decision out yes. of nowhere. And they're like, what the, what's, what, what's going on? And then you're almost, it's so easy to get frustrated with them that they're not all in and you, you fail to realize they have, they don't have anywhere close to the, 
the history and knowledge that I have on what I'm about to do because they haven't brought them in on it. <laughs> Absolutely. Know? And, and the other piece that is I don't come from an entrepreneur family. So mm. my dad, mom, both retired from the post office. I got a brother that's a police officer in Baltimore. Oh, wow. I've got a brother that's a fireman in Baltimore. Um, my grandfather was a retired union carpenter. Um, you know, I served in the military. So um, it wasn't something that naturally flows in the family on either side, hers or yeah. mine. So I think it kind of caught her off guard because it wasn't ever anything that ever really came up. And I think what drove me was my experience towards the end of my career. When I was, I said that I wanted to have control over my life from this point forward. I didn't, I was, I was tired of, of, of seeding control, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of us are like that type A personalities where we, we don't like to be able to give up that control, but it's a balance between allowing others to control us and feed us versus going out and hunting for ourselves. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, really any, any job or corporation, I mean, you could, you could be walking to work any day and be fired. So, um, I mean, there's, you know, <laughs> yeah, no, and, and absolutely. And as we work through the, I can, that's one of the reasons why we started the current company that we have right now, actually. Yeah. So. All right. So what was your, what you, what was the first thing you jumped in on when you started this entrepreneurial search? Um, so started doing a uh, research online. I, I listened to about 4 billion podcasts, um, especially because I was, I was sitting in Kuwait. So I had a, a lot of time on my hands, um, which is where a lot of it started. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, listen to, to veteran, uh, podcasts like yourselves. I listened to a lot of small business podcasts and just, I would, the incredible thirst for knowledge. So I, I joke that I never want to go back to school again, but I, like many, I consider myself a lifelong learner. So, yeah. um, in fact, my, my oldest, my 16 year old the other day was asked, she was asking me like, why I never relax? Why am I always reading about business? I, she couldn't understand the concept that that, that business is, is how I relax. It, even yeah. in my off time, it, it excites me and it, it, exactly. it, it, it brings uh, balance to me to even read about business when I'm not doing it. So, Exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I have the same situation. Like, like you've got a really good airline, airline job. I mean, that's, it's awesome. And at this point it starts, it pays quite well, but mm-hmm. so why are you spending all your time doing this business stuff? Why don't you relax and hang out on the beach or go do this? Cause I'm like, I don't get a whole lot out of that stuff. I mean, yes. it's cool maybe doing it on a Friday or Saturday and then, but I can't do it every day. I'd like mm-hmm. to start getting stir crazy. I got, yeah, exactly. I need, I need, and, playing games or, you know, card games, like this is my game. Like Mm -hmm. I'm in the game of life in the game of business. And to me, that's much more, much more fun. Um, and a a better use of my time too. Yes. Um, It's such as absolutely. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, we dug into the ice machine stuff. I installed two of them, one up in Leavenworth, Kansas, one in Lansing, Kansas. And then, uh, two years later I bought an existing one that was put in out in Lawrence, Kansas. So we own three of those right now. Um, it's been an eye opening experience as, as I was new to business, but, uh, definitely, uh, set me up for success. And, you know, I kind of hinted at you a little bit earlier, but that, that decision, um, really set into, uh, set the, the path for what was going to fall into place for me for the rest. So along the way, we bought the sticker business from you. Mm-hmm. So my wife handles all that. Um, and it, it's really been good for her. She really enjoys that. Um, my goal originally was to work another 10 years after I retired, 
get these side businesses going and throwing off uh, cash by the time I got, got done working. So we could save a little bit of money on the job. Then we'd, you know, I could retire from that. And then we'd have enough money coming in from the side businesses and our retirement to, that we could just live comfortably. And uh, that's definitely not the way it's happened. So um, got into the ice machine business and my small business lender uh, at Central Bank of the Midwest. Uh, Chris, I ran into him while at a networking event when I was in the process of transitioning and I was afraid to talk to him at first because I didn't want to transition because he had just given me a, a six-figure loan uh, on machines. I didn't <laughs> want to know it was close to not having a job, um, you know, but uh, so I, I ended up talking to him that day and he took my resume and gave it to a company that he was the business banker for, which was the mechanical contractor <laughs> that I went to work for for four years. Um, while I was at there, um, yeah, kind of ran into some of the stuff you, that you had, uh, talked about where, you know, you never know day to day if, if you're going to come in and have a job or not, you know, you get fickle owners, you get fickle managers. Um, and the civilian world is a lot different and, uh, folks that are transitioning out need to remember that, the, the, you know, sometimes entrepreneurship can seem scary, but a regular job can seem scary too, when you don't know if you're going to walk in any day and not have a, a job yeah. when you leave that day. Exactly. Um, so I met my current partner, uh, Roy Boyd. Uh, he was the CEO at the company and I was the operations manager on the commercial side. Um, and at, during the 20, September 2020, we decided it was time for us to start a business. Uh, we were tired of working for someone else. And we said, it's now or never. We're getting older. And for us to bring a big company out of the ground, we knew we it was we wanted to do it at then or we weren't sure we wanted to put the time in. So we just jumped in and said, if it doesn't work out, uh, we can go get another job you know, because there's plenty out there. Um, and we're still actively being sought out. So that wasn't a concern. So we started... Uh, BV Strategic Solutions, which is now transitioned to BV Contracting Solutions, uh, where we focus on property and facilities maintenance uh, for both residential and commercial property management companies predominantly. And you started it in September of 2020, where COVID was full throttle. Great idea, oh, huh? Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. And, and you know, we were having a hard time. You know, we started canvassing and trying to build business. Um door to door. And it was tough because a lot of the commercial businesses weren't open, which is why we got into more residential uh, work than we expected. Mm -hmm. uh, but the network that we, him and I have in town is really what is, has allowed us to scale this company significantly. So uh, we'll be coming up on two years old um, this year uh, in September. And uh, we've grown significantly to the point where we have ourselves, plus we've got five part-time or full-time employees right now. So Awesome. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. Traveling is so beneficial, whether it's to relax or see somewhere new. And wherever you're going, a travel rewards card just makes traveling so much easier. I've had the flagship credit card for a couple of decades now. The premium travel card has a low annual fee of $49 and two times the points on all purchases outside of travel, meaning the rewards don't have to end even when the vacation does. Flagship credit card also comes with up to $100 in credits toward TSA pre-check or global entry and reimbursement on an annual Amazon Prime membership. Hmm, I didn't know that. I need to look into that. Learn how you can earn up to three times points on travel and more with the flagship credit card at NavyFederal.org. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, open to the armed forces, the DOD, veterans, and their families. Flagship rates are variable and range between 10.74% and 18% APR based on credit worthiness. ATM fees for cash advances are up to a dollar at non-Navy Federal ATMs. Credit and collateral subject to approval. All right, back talking with Army veteran Dave Vidark from BV Contracting Solutions. So, Dave, I remember when, when I when we first started talking, I first met you. You told me about this ice machine business, and I, I think it was actually in the winter time. I remember the significance. Like it's the, it's winter in the Kansas City area, 
and you own an ice machine. It's one of those big ones that like sits in a, sits in a parking lot of a shopping center and spews out yeah. massive amounts of ice. And I'm like, really dude, are you, you're, you're like making money off an ice machine. So how'd you, where'd you find, I mean, actually talk, walk us through that whole story. Sure. So, um, you know, we had used them while we were down in Texas and, uh, was pretty impressed. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm a curious guy. So when I see something, I'm not sure what it is. I, I have to go use it and figure out what it is and how it, how it works. Um, so I ended up talking to one of the owners one day when he was at the machine and got a little more information. And this is well before I thought this was ever going to happen. It just kind of, I just kind of parked it in the back of my mind that, yeah, maybe someday this may be a thing, depending on where we end up retiring and selling down, who knows where we'll be. Um, so then when I started looking at for businesses, I dredged that back up and started doing a lot more research on it. Um, and knowing that they, they had built them and modified them to operate better in cold weather environments. Like we have here up here in Kansas city, as they work their way up from the Southern coast in. Um, and then I started doing the market research on how expensive ice is, you know, well, the funny part is I don't even use a ton of ice. That's not, that's not even my thing. I would, <laughs> the army's taught me to drink all my water warm over the years. Right. So, um, but, uh, so started doing some research and learned a lot more about it and just decided to jump in and go for it. So no kidding. Okay. So you're actually making money off an ice machine. Can you go into any yeah. details? Like how do you make money off an ice machine? Really? So, um, the beauty of it is it sits out there. It, I don't, I was looking for something that I could make money when I wasn't there. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is the ultimate goal for everyone. So the machine, uh, makes stores and vends the ice to the customer without anyone ever being on site, um, no which is what I was looking for. It's completely automated. I can manage it and I can, uh, I can watch it, uh, the diagnostics on it from my phone, uh, on all the machines and keep an eye on things. But I mean, you, and like most things that you'd expect in seasonally, you're going to make the, we make the vast majority of our money over the summer, but I will tell you, I've never gone a day when I haven't sold at least one bag ice, even one is below zero in Kansas city. You've never gone a day without selling at least one bag of ice. Are you serious? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so even when it was negative 10 degrees, I was, sell, I, I sold ice. Cause if you compare an ice machine to maybe like an ice cream store, well, mm -hmm. I mean, ice cream stores probably, if all they do is ice cream, they're probably not doing yeah. too well in the wintertime. No. So, um, the interesting part is there's kind of a, there's a, uh, when it gets significantly below freezing, we actually sell more ice than we do when it's, uh, let's say between 30 and 40 degrees because people can't put their drinks outside. Otherwise they'll freeze. So in the wintertime, people will just drop their stuff on the back deck. If it's, you know, between, let's say between 30 and 40, I uh, got to keep that. the beer cold, you know what I mean? But below that, the, the beer freezes if they leave it out there too long. So they end up icing it down in a cooler inside. So no kidding. Can you, can you go through any numbers with us at all or whatever you're willing to share uh, yeah, about so, it? Like how much it uh, our numbers are sig significantly lower than down at, like say down in Texas. Um, I'd say I'm right around about a hundred thousand dollars a year gross revenue uh, between the three machines. So the Lawrence one is really? the killer um, and the other two are, are catching up. It's just getting people used to using them. Even after six years, I'll talk to people and they're, they're just hesitant because not everyone's as curious as I was. So they'll be like, Oh, we saw that thing out there, but I'm not sure what it was. And I never bothered to go check it out. Out. Yeah. And then we get them to use it and they're hooked because uh, we, it, it, the brand is twice the ice. And the goal is that we can keep our costs low enough that we can sell ice basically at half price from what re, uh, retail convenience stores are. So uh, okay. um, like uh, out in Lawrence, I sell a 16 pound bag for two seventy five, um, and that's tax included. So you have, you know, good luck trying to find that anywhere else. Your most 16 to 20 pound bags are going to run anywhere from four to $5 plus tax. So, Wow. 
You think the one in Lawrence is better because that's where University of Kansas is, or maybe just the location in the town? It's the it's got a good location. It's it's it, it's got a uh, a very uh, dedicated user base down there. I mean, I've got people that'll drive ten miles from across town just to come to my machine, and they're they're probably passing ten gas stations to get there. Really? But because we we ha- we we do a good job of filtering and taking care of that, and it's always available, and they like the price point. That you know, once we get people hooked, they they have a tendency to stay. So. People dump it right into their cooler, or people. Mm-hmm. Tend to put uh, we it got in people that dump it right in their cooler. We got people that take it home and 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 keep it in their fridge or to use in their drinks. Yeah, a little bit of everything. So, it, like, does the ice machine ever run out of ice? Because like it's so busy. All um, there's only it, it's it's only happened a couple times. Uh, it's always been on a Fourth of July. Um, so the machine down there will hold about six. The large machine will hold about six thousand pounds of ice, and the, uh, the ice maker will make um, thirty to forty pounds of ice every eight minutes. Um, so it can make about four to four to 5,000 pounds in a 24 hour period. And I've run that machine out of ice three times on the holiday. Wow. Yeah. I, I, so. I still just can't get over that. It's, like, it's crazy. <laughs> They'll be like, lined up. Like, I, there's been times we've had 10, 12 people lined up at the machine. Like, wait. Oh man, this poor guy's just getting out of the army. He thinks he's going to make money off an ice machine. Ah. <laughs> I remember thinking that and like, really you're making money. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Okay. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. All right. So, um, so ultimately from there, through the network of, of your banker who you got the loan and knowing these, you ended up, you know, where you're at, at uh, BB contracting Solutions. So a good lesson on networking. I mean, I say the rule in networking is always be networking and you, you'll never, you, you're never going to know how the networking is going to pay off. You just have yes. to accept that. It's, it's like, uh, it's like having faith. You can't, you're never going to find tr- actual proof evidence that's going to happen until after it's already happened. Yeah. And I, I think networking gets a, it gets a bad rap, right? I mean, networking is really just meeting people and, and yeah. connecting on a, on a without an level. agenda. So, yes. Networking so is when, not going to a meeting because there's this one guy there who owns a company and you want him to give you a job. That's not networking. No, that's, that's absolutely not. <laughs> so the, and the other piece that is, so when I was transitioning out, I, I would force myself to go to random networking events around town and I, and I would set a goal. Like I, I need to meet, I want to have three meaningful conversations with people tonight and, I, and come home with three, three, you know, three contacts from that. Uh, you know, I'd been in the army a long time. I wasn't used to the, to the networking stuff. I, and I had to teach myself to, to be able to small talk and keep yeah. conversations going and all that stuff. And all those, you know, that, that portion of it has fed significantly into where I'm at today. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm not a natural extrovert. I'm a, I'm a learned extrovert from being in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it doesn't feed me. I can do it. I can do sales. I can do all that, but it doesn't feed me like it does some. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a ne- necessary requirement if you want to be successful, not just in business uh, for yourself, but if you want to be successful in the, in the civilian world. Yeah. Yeah. Now, mostly what you guys are doing now, correct me if I'm wrong, is you guys are managing rental, a lot of rental properties for owners and stuff, right? Is it? Uh, we don't actually manage them. We, we do the maintenance. Just the um, maintenance. Okay. We only do the maintenance. Uh, we've got some in-house so You're not collecting rent from anybody. You're no. not dealing directly necessarily with the tenants, but you're fixing everything that goes wrong. Yeah. So we work directly with the property management companies, okay. uh, either with management companies that don't have any maintenance staff or management companies that need augmented on their maintenance staff. Uh, maintenance and general handyman is a, is a trade that's really suffering right now for a lack of people. Um, so a lot of these places can't get enough folks. The other one that mm-hmm. we do, we're actually in the process of transitioning to more commercial properties. So uh, we work with a lot of big uh, commercial property managers like Collier's, Kessner Hunter, um, some of the other big ones in town where we will help them 
conduct the maintenance or coordinate contractors for their property. So we've got a network of about, I think it's 55 or 60 uh, subcontractors that we use. I'm a licensed general contractor um, that, we, that we can use to, basically our goal is to never tell a customer no. So if they need everything from a whiteboard hung in their building to a parking lot resurfaced, I will get them a number on it and I can handle that from, from start to finish for them. So Awesome. And are you mostly contracting out with other people or a lot of these people that are doing the work employees of yours? Uh, most of them are subcontractors. You do have some general maintenance in house. Uh-huh. Uh, our goal was to try to keep the, the company uh, lean at the top and try to keep overhead down. Um, but what that also allows us is because we keep a, a bench of folks under each trade. Um, it allows me to take care of the customer better because I'm not dependent. So let, let's say when I was running uh, the operations for an HVAC company, I had five HVAC technicians. Once I was out of HVAC te- technicians, there was nothing else I could do, right? Or out of plumbers. Uh, you know, I was having to figure out when, when can I get to this person? Is it tomorrow? Is it the next day? Right. Now I can just continue to roll through my sub network and find, find someone to go run that call for me today. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Huh. So how did you guys get started in this? Um, so we were both working in commercial um, HVAC and plumbing. Yeah. Uh, we saw, we saw uh, a concern where we felt that a lot of property managers or small business owners didn't know number one, when they had an issue, who to call, right. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's not something they deal with on a regular basis. They may be a very great technical expert in whatever field they're in, but you know, if their HVAC stops working or their plumbing has an issue, they don't know who to call. So what do they do? They either ask someone or they Google it and just call some random person. They don't know if the price they're getting, is it good? They don't know if the product they're getting is good. Is it even what needs to be done? Mm -hmm. Um, So Roy and I saw a niche where we could take our, knowledge in construction and in, in, in the trades um, and basically serve as the uh, middle person to make sure that what this customer is getting is number one, is it a reputable contractor? Cause there's, you know, you hear stories all the time about that Two is the pricing good. We do all negotiated pricing with our subcontractors. So when we send someone out there, we know what, what we're dealing with. And three is the product that they're installing or, or performing. Is it, is it the, to the quality that we expect of our subcontractors. Um, and what that allows us that we build a relationship with our customers and, and they come back to us, uh, even though they, you know, just because they trust us and they know that they're getting a quality product and someone looking out for them. Wow. Um, so talk a little bit about your operations. How, how, how does, uh, are you dealing mostly with directly with property management companies or are you dealing with like individual landlords that are calling you? Uh, we're typically products? working with a property management company, mm-hmm. um, or, uh, it may be a building owner themselves. Um, either way, uh, they're invested into, they want to get it done. They want to get it fixed. Um, especially on the commercial side, because businesses and companies, they just want, they want to get it done and they want to get it done fast and quickly and at the cheapest uh, possible price point. But more importantly, their business may be driven by that. Right. Sure. So uh, they want to make sure that, that their, that their co- client or their employee experiences isn't affected by is the HVAC down or is the strain not working in the restaurant. Yeah. Uh, we do a lot of restaurant work, uh, oh, really? which is good um, because it allows us to service them uh, 24 hours a day. So like restaurants or leasing a building from somebody. and, and mm-hmm. the- So what you see in commercial real estate, a lot is a triple net leases where the, cl- where the lease, the leaser, leasee, excuse me, um, is responsible for all the maintenance. Uh, we're seeing that more and more. So you may come in and rent a retail space in a strip mall, mm-hmm. um, but written into your lease will be the fact that you are responsible as the tenant to, um, maintain the existing systems. And if there's any issues, you as the tenant are responsible for the maintenance actually. Really? 
So it's actually Absolutely. The, oftentimes it's, it's in this case, it's the tenants that are calling you mm -hmm. and paying uh, for it. Sometimes. Yeah. And uh, what we get a lot is, is the property management companies will give our information out to the tenants because they trust us to work on their buildings. So huh. that's an interesting dynamic. That, mm -hmm. uh, why is, why is it that that trend is happening? Um, I lowers costs for the, for the owner. Yeah. You know what I mean? As the owner of the property, you no longer are responsible for fixing it. Um, and the other piece is it causes the tenant to think, I think, more about what they're doing when they're maintaining the property uh, or how their operations yeah. are being yeah, run in there because they're responsible for it, right? Yeah. And we, I mean, you, renters and, and residential get a bad rap sometimes because some like us, as we moved around, were great renters and we took care of the properties we're in and other mm -hmm. ones, not so much. So Right. Wow. So- you guys started back in, in the fall of, of 2020. Um, where'd you start at and where are you at now? Uh, so we started out in my partner Roy's basement. Um, <laughs> awesome. Like like all good stories start for companies, right? So mm -hmm. we, we worked out of his basement. We really didn't, because of the holidays and everything else and trying to figure out what we wanted to do, we actually thought we were going to start out as more of a um, consulting company to contractors. Mm -hmm. um, and then with a little bit of maintenance on the side. Um, and then by January, we were starting to get a lot more traction from the maintenance piece. Um, in reality, that that's what took over. We saw uh, a growth significant growth through 2021 in the maintenance side. And we stopped doing as much consulting and started figuring out ways that we could scale the maintenance piece. Uh, we moved into a, uh, an, a one room office in uh, April of 2021. And then by August, we had outgrown that and we're in our current office out here in Blue Springs, Missouri. So no kidding. Okay. So th this is a very important point I always like to make. You thought you were going into the consulting business, but you realized the demands over here and look at all, look at all the money we could make over here. So did you ever, were you guys ever saying, no, no, we're consultants. We don't want to do that. <clears throat> or was it, holy cow, we should be doing this. You know, um, that's the pivot. Yeah. So, you know, as, as the opportunity started to present itself, I think we were like, well, we can, we can get into that. And, you know, him and I have some aspirations. So we're, we're dreamers like a lot of entrepreneurs. So we've, we knew that at some point we probably wanted to get into uh, property ownership. And so we said, well, let's build the maintenance company that we need for our future property ownership group. Mm -hmm. um, and then it just started to continue to scale and grow. Um, and then we, we, you know, like any good story, we followed where the customers were taking us. So, um, yeah. and we also looked at if we stayed in as trying to consult, we would be limited by the amount of time that him and I had. And then when we weren't working, then nothing's getting done, but we've now built a company that runs without us being in the day to day necessarily. So we, yeah. we've now brought on a general manager who, and a dispatcher. So they mm -hmm. handle the incoming calls every day. Um, I'm now starting to look at more projects and with the eventual goal of bringing in a project engineer or a project manager to run those for us with, so that we can continue to grow and scale the company. And so did, um, back on along the same lines, um, where you, you thought you were going into consulting, you ended up pivoting to this. Um, was there like a proverbial moment where it was like, we got to do this? Or was it kind of a slow to rise? Like every day you it, were getting yeah, pinged. It, it it's was like, a, you know, we got to look into this. It was slow to rise. Um, but at the same time, uh, so much of our business was from referred from one customer to another um, that we, I mean, we haven't actually done a ton of marketing. Um, a lot of what we're getting is people, 
bring in folks to us say, Hey, these guys have done a great job for us. You know, I think you should talk to this person or, or, you know, this, you know, Jim told me to call you because he said you guys are doing a great job. And I think you may be able to meet them, uh, you know, something that I, that I need. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's a balance. Cause we have, we've, there's some customers that we've, uh, told we, we, we weren't a good fit for a lot of small property management companies we were running into. They'd be like, well, we're not used to paying prices that you're, that like you're asking. Um, but at the same time, some of them said that the, the issue they had was the people they were hiring as subcontractors were going out of business. So, you know what I mean? Sure. You, you, we were, tr- we wanted to be a company that was large enough to handle anything the customer had, but still be able to provide a good quality product at a decent price. So, yeah. And this is, this is a great example of with entrepreneurship. It's like a lot of things. Sometimes you just have to get in the fight because you guys got in the fight thinking you're going to be consultants and you were doing some of that. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you had never jumped in, if you, if you'd sat on the sidelines thinking, well, I wonder if the consulting business is going to work. I wonder if we need proof it's going to work. And if you sat on the sidelines, you never would have been exposed to the opportunity of getting into your, your contracting and uh, yeah. it's on. No, on absolutely. And, and still to this day, someone will call us and say, can you do this for me? And even if we've never done it, we'll say, well, let us give you a call back. Let's take a look at it and we will go find a way to get it done. Yeah. So, um, you know, where there's a will, there's a way and, you know, entrepreneurs improvise, adapt and overcome no different than we do in the military. I think it's one of the reasons why him and I, uh, with Roy's a former Marine. Um, so, awesome. um, I, we're used to, and we've been in, in business and, and leadership positions our entire adult life. So we're not used to saying no to anything. We're not used to turning down an opportunity. We, we will find a way to get it done. Yeah, and you, I think that's one of the things that veterans, why veterans can be so good at, at business and op- entrepreneurship if, if they really want to, because what sets us apart from others is that we will, will, we will take it until we finish it. Yeah. I think that's one thing I love about entrepreneurship is I love the military mindset. If, if there's anything I miss more than anything is being around the military mindset all the time. And the entrepreneur is probably the closest, if not almost exactly the same as the military mindset. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're not accepting. No, you're, you're not going to just quit or give up. You're going to find the way to, to accomplish whatever you need to get done and, and then move on to the next task. So. All right. Well, Dave, you guys are doing some great things there in Kansas city. Uh, you personally too, with being involved in uh, bunker labs, VFW staying, staying in the network. I mean, even to this day, you guys are running a successful business, but you're still out there in those networking groups, you know, deliberate networking, never knowing how yes. it's going to pay off, but um, you keep, you keep the, you keep the hammer down. You, you never know how things are going to pay off and uh, still running, still running the ice machine business. It's <laughs> awesome. Um, so good on you. And uh, you guys actually, you, you and um, you and Stacy and uh, Tom, uh, mm-hmm. all took over a, a bunk, bunker labs there in Kansas city when we came, when I came down to Florida. So it's awesome. Appreciate uh, doing that. And no, absolutely. Bunker, uh, you know, uh, bunker offers a lot of opportunity uh, specifically for the folks that are around major metropolitan areas, but they're mm-hmm. also running their veterans and residents program as a virtual event for those that don't live close either. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we're starting our first vet, ver, uh, veterans and residents program here in Kansas city this summer. It's uh, awesome. just kicking off and we've got uh, folks in Wichita. We've got folks in St. Louis and folks in Kansas city. So uh, where there's a will, there's a way. So that's great. So if anybody's interested in the veteran residence program, where do they go to find that? 
Uh, they should just be able to go to the Bunker Labs website. So they run two programs a year. One starts in January, one starts in July. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should start taking applications, for, I think, probably uh, mid-fall uh, for the January cohort. And uh, yeah, it's a great way to connect. It's a great way to um, meet other veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs um, and, and just realize that you're not alone out there. And I think that's the biggest thing. So the one thing I appreciate about the business we have now is I uh, wasn't too sure about having a partner in it, but it, what him and I have found is that uh, typically when one of us is up, the other one's down, you know, if one's down, <laughs> one's up, or we can balance yeah. things off each other and, and look That's to awesome. that. Um, it, it offers a lot of, a lot of opportunity. Uh, so I, I tell folks, you know, a lot of times they get cautioned off about starting businesses with partners, but if you find the right partner and discuss the things ahead of time, uh, it can really pay off. So. Awesome. Well, we could probably talk for hours, but unfortunately, <laughs> we're about out of time. So, um, <clears throat> if somebody wants to get a hold of you or or uh, find out more about uh, BV Contracting Solutions there in the Kansas City area, how would they go about doing that? Um, you you can go to our website bvcontractingsolutions.com. Um, um, everyone's free to hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm happy to share my experiences. I I love helping uh, veterans transition. My my transition went really smooth, but it, you know, but it was a lot of work, and I stayed on the attack the whole time. So um, I tell people like, you can't sit back and just let these things happen. If you want a successful transition, you have to go make it happen. Um, so yeah, they can definitely hit me up on there and let, you know, let's find ways to work together. Awesome. I'll give you the last word. Talking to somebody in the military, just got, just on getting out on the way out, thinking about entrepreneurship, what kind of advice do you have for them? Um, number one, uh, be honest with yourself on what you want to do. If you know, entrepreneurship is not an easy road to go, um, but has a lot of, you know, can have a lot of success and a lot of personal satisfaction. Uh, but you have to be honest with yourself. And is this something that you, that you really want? A lot of people think that that's what they want, but in reality, they don't want to put the extra time and effort in, you know, and it, you know, it is the old joke of you, you gave up the 40 hour a week job to, to work 80 hours. Right. But, um, it gives me (laughs) the flexibility to do what I want with the family. Now it gives me the flexibility to, determine where I'm at. And, and, and um, we're building a successful business that probably will generate um, opportunities for generations down the road for us. So awesome. All right, Dave, thanks for sharing your entrepreneurial success story. These two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to veteran on the move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, This veteran is Oscar Mike.